Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and world. Let's get into this week's episode. Well, welcome to today's segment of Mutuality Matters, and I am so excited to introduce this new particular segment entitled Intersectionality, Where Race, Gender, and Religion Collide. My name is Reverend Dr. Angela Raven Anderson, and I am your host this afternoon, and I, again, like I said, am just overjoyed to be one of the new members of the CBE podcast family. In this segment, we will be looking at the ways in which our understanding of God and who God is calling us to be is informed at that very intersection that we're talking about, race, gender, and religion. And because these overlapping identities combine and marginalize women of color in particular ways, we are going to examine how the combination of liberation, womanist, and egalitarian theology present an understanding of God and God's kingdom that embraces, restores, uplifts, and transforms. Our view of God's kingdom is stretched and expanded when we consider and learn from the wisdom and lived experiences of women of color, women who live at the intersection of race, gender, and religion. So let's listen to their voices as we move beyond the stained glass ceiling. And today I am so excited to welcome to the broadcast none other than Reverend Dr. Renita J. Weems. I have to tell you all, she is one of my sheroes. When I first entered into ministry, I had the opportunity to hear her preach and speak at my church. And I, um, I keep in my mind all of those sermons, and I remember how impacted I was by uh, her authenticity and the unique view that she brought to uh, this text and to the word of hope that she presented to us. But let me just give you a little bit of background about Dr. Renita Weems, because once you hear what this phenomenal woman has done, you will understand why I am just over the moon today. Reverend Dr. Renita J. Weems is a biblical scholar, a writer, an ordained minister, and a public intellectual. Her scholarly insights into modern faith, biblical texts, and the role of spirituality in everyday lives makes her a highly sought-after writer and speaker, which is why we wanted her to join us today. She has numerous books, including commentaries and journal articles on the Bible and prophetic religion to her credit. Some of these include Just a Sister Away, I Asked for Intimacy, and Battered Love, Marriage, Sex, and Violence in the Prophets, which we will talk about a little bit later in the broadcast. Her 1999 book, Listening for God, A Minister's Journey Through Silence and Doubt, won the Religious Communicators Council's prestigious 1999 Wilbur Award for Excellence in Communicating Spiritual Values to the Secular Media. 
As a trailblazer, uh, Dr. Weems was ordained an elder in the African Methodist Episcopal Church uh, in 1984. And Dr. Weems is also a former member of the faculty of Vanderbilt University Divinity School, where she was the first African-American woman to be tenured. Now, this was not the beginning of her her list of firsts. She actually is also uh, the first African-American woman to earn a Ph.D. in Old Testament studies from Princeton Theological. And she is the first African-American woman to deliver the prestigious Lehman Beecher Lecture at Yale University. She is also featured in Black Stars, African-American Religious Leaders, a collection of biographies of some of the most important Black religious leaders over the last 200 years. Dr. Weems lives with her family in Nashville, where she co-pastors with her husband, Reverend Martin L. Espinosa, at the Ray of Hope Community Church in Nashville, Tennessee. She and her husband are the proud parents of a daughter, Savannah Nia. So, Today, I am delighted to welcome to our broadcast, Dr. Renita Weems. Dr. Weems, welcome. Well, thank you very much. That was a very generous <laughs> and robust, and I appreciate it. I appreciate your, your commitment to try to contextualize our conversation. Amen. Amen. And so with that said, um, and I appreciate you making that distinction because that really kind of falls into some of the the, the yeah. conversation that we're going to have today as we talk about uh, these these factors, right? These these ways yeah. that we identify ourselves and yes. how it impacts uh our lives and in yes. our in yeah. our experience as Christians and as believers. Yes. Absolutely. So I I'm I mentioned that you have written a book entitled Bad, Battered Love. Battered Love. And Battered Love, uh, the, sub, the subtitle is Marriage, Sex, and Violence in the Prophets. And when I read this, I remember being thinking to myself, because in this uh, book, you bring to light God, the image of God as a husband. But Sometimes, because God is a jealous God, as as presented in the prophets, he's also an abusive husband. And when I looked at that, I began to think through um, how that might be misinterpreted or how that might be... um, how that might be integrated into some minds to say that that's okay, that that is an amen for that type of activity. So let me let me open the floor and let you kind of give voice to that. Right. Thank you very much. Um, it is um, it, this is a question about language. Question about the ways in which and the and perhaps even the imperfection of human language. It is about the limitations of human language. Metaphors. It was the way you described it that was correct. It is, uh, you you talked about my having written a book about the 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 prophet's use of the image of God as like an abusive husband, and so it is about uh, the use of metaphors, the use of figurative speech, um, rhetorical devices that we might use as speakers as preachers in trying to describe God in, t- in, 
and trying to explain or describe our deepest spiritual yearnings. Uh, so it, I think when I wrote the book, when I began, it began as my dissertation journey. And like any woman uh, and, and in particular, perhaps even any black woman, I was horrified uh, to find this imagery in the Bible. I think at the time in which I stumble upon uh, this particular imagery, I had to say to myself, and so I'm, I'm somewhere in my 30s, I guess, at this time, I have to admit I had never seen this imagery. And no, I had never heard anyone preach about it. I had never heard it discussed in, in Sunday school. But the image of God as a jealous lover, I've heard, um, but never really explored that. I, that was just a given. But but the ways in which Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, and others go, I mean, the, the very lurid descriptions of God, right. Right. Uh, of, of God being like a husband who rips off his wife's clothes and beats her and, uh, and and cages her in and, and you know, uh, kidnaps and cages, you know, her, her in because she is such a whore. She's such a harlot. Uh, Israel is like a harlot. It's not just God is like an, an, an abusive husband, or, but it is the image of Israel like right. a, a whorish, wanton uh, woman. So it is both of those images and that because she is seen as a whore, uh, unfaithful, uh, there it gives God, the husband, the other image, license to go to extraordinary lengths um, uh, to restrain her. This is the language to try to explain, try to cast light on an aspect, not the whole aspect, but an aspect of the divine and human relationship. And it draws from what was clearly operative in Israel's culture, the whole notion. It was a very patriarchal culture. It was a very male-centered, male-dominated culture where, where women were property and where women were, where men had the, the right, the privilege um, to uh, treat women, treat their wives as however they saw fit. And part of that was in certainly in terms of uh, domestic, what we now call domestic violence, but violence, uh, physically restraining her, beating her for any number of reasons. So language, my point here is that language emerges out of a culture. And in that culture, that was appropriate that was within bounds. And so the language of talking about God in that way would have been understood by that audience. It would not be, it would be, it, we would find it in the 21st century, we ought to find it right. horrifying, objectionable, right. because those are no longer the social codes of our culture. We know that these things happen. Let me admit, we know that these things happen. But in terms of our larger moral and ethical codes as Christians, we do not believe, uh, thinking Christians anyway, we do not believe that, that uh, husbands have a right uh, to beat wives, that we do not believe in domestic violence. We abhor it. We abhor the whole notion of that men have power over women. A husband has a power over a woman in, in, in a way in he has the right to physically uh, retaliate, to right. hit, to abuse. 
And so therefore it is language changes and the meaning of language and moral codes change. So what was acceptable then uh, is no longer acceptable. And so it is a metaphor while we get what it was trying to add. Nevertheless, the underlying assumption of male power, male privilege, female subjugation, male violence against women uh, is no longer acceptable. And so that is why I uh, wanted to, I was fascinated with and wanted to write about it in Better Love. Yes. So then um, if that's one image of the portrayal of God to help us understand God, what are some of the other images that we see in the Old Testament of God to help us understand the nature of God? We know the image of God as a judge. The image of God as a father is yet another image of God. It is not who God is. It is our attempt as 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 uh, as human beings to draw on. You know, I'll use our own kind of anthropomorphic uh, imaginations. So we we draw on our own uh, relationships to try to help us, perhaps put our finger at. Yes. And who God is and our relationship with God. And, and these those these relationships are very imperfect. So the image of God is judged, the image of God as um, a father, the image of God as a, a as as mother, a, a, the image of God as a as a mother hen gathering her brood of, of chicks. Uh, the, the you know, there are just so many other the image of God as warrior. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So all of these uh, are are images, are metaphors, are figurative ways of speaking with uh, speaking about God, and and not just speaking about God. But it's not just so much trying to capture God; it is about capturing our relationship with God. Mm-hmm. The human divine relationship is like a judge. And a uh, and a and a guilty person, if you will, it is like a father or a parent to a child. It is like a, a, a brooding hen worried about her baby chicks. It is like so. It is not so much language that tells us very much about God as much as it attempts to tell us about what our what are our relationship what our relationship is with the divine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well. I want us to take that a little bit deeper because when we talk about yeah. theology, theology is is just that, right? Our understanding of the nature of God. And one of the things that uh, I, I really like, uh, my mind has been kind of thinking about when I think about this issue of intersectionality and how scriptures... When we talk about intersectionality, where uh, this is, you know, this is that idea that was concretized by Dr. Crenshaw, right? But definitely, that's been around prior to that. But this idea that as you have multiple identities, then uh, that you associate with, then that begins to uh, marginalize you in particular ways, right? So I want to talk about that as far as women of color. How has it been, or or do you see uh, ways that we have uh, learned about God that has kept us as women, as Black women, um, 
has kept us away or pushed us out from that that position of of being embraced and included in the vision of the kingdom. I think that one of the um, one of the I won't say challenges. One of the wonderful things about being a black woman um, is that we have this dual lens, uh, at least two lens through which we see life and we even experience a life. One of the things about being a one of the things in the in the experience of being a black woman in 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 our, the the culture in which we live is that you are regularly asking yourself or, or you you know that you are in systems, you know you are on jobs, you know you are in denominations, you know you are in situations where there is some degree of oppression, prejudice, a bigotry, if you will, a suspicion about you, questioning your credentials, suspicions about your PhD, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> yeah. And you're not always sure. I think what it means to be a Black woman is, a woman of color, is that you're not always sure, is this about me being Black? Right. Or is this about me being female? And and I've and now... What I think in, in terms of being a black woman, we don't have the luxury of parsing those two out is, is our point. That some that a lot of times we are we are facing dual discriminations. It is both our femaleness and our male and our excuse me, our femaleness and our race. And and we don't have the luxury of trying to and we actually don't even have the luxury of trying to figure out which one it is. Right. We experience life in simplicity of our of our realities and and uh, but all of us all of us have multiple identities no doubt about that mm-hmm. but we are talking about one of the things about being a black woman a, a latin asian woman uh if if you will is that there are multiple systems if you will uh, that are that interrogate us every day of our lives that that scrutinize us every day of, of our lives that we have to be about and intersectionality uh, Crenshaw having coined the term for uh, uh, many many years for decades if you will uh, there was a wonderful book uh, that was published in the 70s and the, but the title says it all. I mean, you, you, we, those of us in the academy, we quoted a lot, a lot. All the women are white. All the men are black. But some of us are brave. Yay! There it is. <laughs> That's it. And what it means that usually when in our, whether we're talking about in the media or whether we're talking about in academic books, and sometimes even when we're talking about in our CBE sermons, when we're talking about women, we are rarely talking about black women. We mean white women. And when we talk about blacks, we're rarely talking about black women or the men. You black, they're usually talking about the black men, the, 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 the normative the normative black is a male and the normative 
uh, 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 white is the female in, 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 in activist circles, especially. And so when we talk about the oppression of whites, uh, when, you know, female oppression, we're talking about white women. We're not talking about black women. There's rarely much scholarship or concern about that. And so therefore, the point here is this notion that as a black woman, as a Latino woman, as an Asian or, um, uh, uh, and women of, of, of color, we have the responsibility, we have the task, we have the challenge of uh, seeing our lives through multiple lens and multiple uh, areas of, of, of oppression, of bigotry. Of, and, and we cannot always separate whether it's, um, is it because I'm Black? Is it because I'm female? Is it because of something else? And I think that's what we're putting our finger on. And I, I want to step back and not call it a challenge because I think it is also the source of my greatest strength. It is because I have lived on the margins. It is because I'm underestimated. It's Come on because now. I am invisible to some right. people that I have an ability to perceive, to see things that other people don't see right. or, um, or and are shocked or that I can see. It is because, you know, as uh, Bell Hook says, you know, there is some power uh, at, there at the margins. And uh, Tony Morrison has said that as well in particular. There is some, there is an advantage of being at the margin because people underestimate you and they don't see you. And, and because they exclude you, because you're female and black, then you're able to see them before they see you. I remember, and I don't know who said this um, it was in, in one of my courses, I remember someone describing kind of the social hierarchy in America, and it was describing, uh, you know, white men as at the top of that hierarchy and having the most power and freedom. Under that comes white women. And this is a very binary kind of look at our society. But uh and then and below them was black men and then black women was at the, we were at the very bottom. And so it was interesting because it was stated that the, the freest people in our society were, were white men because they were those who really kind of controlled the power and the hierarchy. And then black women because they were invisible. And so because of their invisibility, they could move in ways and do things because just like you said, often underestimated. And um, I, I always kind of held that uh, in my mind. I, I, I can't remember who to uh, accredit that to, but I just, I just remember that analogy, that discussion that we were having that kind of speaks to the same thing that you're yeah. seeing right now. Yeah. 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 And, and we bring that, I think we bring that, um, I think we all, all of us, bring our, our experiences to the reading of Scripture. Well, we all bring our uh, experiences to our interpretations, uh, our our angle on a on a on a biblical text. Our the lens. Uh, what you see depends upon where you stand, mm -hmm. and um, and and that is supposed to be. That is not to put down anyone else that is really to say that's as many people around the table mm -hmm. so that we are not talking in an echo chamber so that we can get a fresh angle on 
on what is going on, uh, what is going on in scripture, what is going on on our jobs, uh, what is going on in our in our world. We need new voices yes. uh, around the table. And I, right. and I commend a CBE for this particular podcast uh, as well, because it is an it is. It is to it is an admission that there is that there are some voices that we have not included, and that um, we need to widen the table, broaden our broaden our horizon, introduce our audience uh, to new voices and and different seeing the world and understanding the world, and we all need to be challenged. We all need uh, to be challenged. So I think that that's, that is very important. And I think that that's why I commend uh, this work and was happy to join you uh, today on this podcast. Well, so thank you. And and with that thought in mind, because, you know, it's, it's one thing to kind of talk about. I, I love how you move from challenge to actually kind of opportunity, because as we are understanding um and thinking about who God is, I remember having this conversation about those uh, in a in a Western mentality. There's probably this idea of recognizing God primarily as judge and lawgiver, but in a African American culture, we see God as the liberator, as the one who sets us free. So, can you kind of comment on that? As as when we're coming to this text as women. Uh, what we see, because I I often see this nurturing side, this loving parenting mama side of God, mm-hmm. and I also see this this God that is um, uh, mm-hmm. much more this as you say much more uh, inclusive and embracing. But how 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 has yeah. your life, your studies, how how has it informed your theology and your understanding of who God is and who we are with respect to God, who he's calling us to be. Well, it, uh, the, 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 the reason why we find ourselves in the kind of society, culture that we live in right now, the kind of religious, sometimes uh, the, 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 challenge, the painful religious world and uh, Christian I'm trying. I'm grappling for the way to describe what what this this moment in American Christian history is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christianity, what Christianity looks like in America right now. How divided we are as divided as the Congress, uh, <laughs> yeah. and 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 as divisive. Uh, evangelical the whole whatever evangelicalism is right now whatever it is to be mainline christian what what all of the all of these kinds of tension the kinds of commissions and conventions and meetings right, about right, whether right, women right. are called to preach and is social justice really a biblical notion i mean all of these kind all of this, whether Black Lives Matter is, you know, is a legitimate movement uh, according to Scripture and, and the Bible and God, all, all of these kinds of conversations, whether LGBTQ people uh, are are legitimate, their 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 identity is a legitimate one. At this moment that we find ourselves where we are, is that where the Christian world is sometimes as device did and divisive. I think that I think to 
one of the things that we have to be mindful of is that all of us indeed, as you said so well, all of us come to scripture, different races of people, different genders of people. We, we have our favorite, okay? We have, we have those passages, those images mm-hmm. that nurture us, that inspire us. Uh, but at the, but that's not the challenge. The challenge, the problem is whose interpretation is the dominant interpretation. Mm-hmm. We don't, we're not ask people are not asking those who have been not asking for a place around the table, but the power around the table does not change. You're just not asking to come to the table, but there's only one way to see God. Now you all can come to the table. We're happy to have you here on the podcast, but there is only one true way to see God. And God is. Right, 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 right. And God is what we men say God is. And we, what we men of a certain denomination and of a certain Christian tradition it is. And all the rest of you, we will tolerate, we will embrace, we will have conversation with, we will high five you, but (laughs) your interpretation will never rule the day. Your interpretation. We will not make room that this is a legitimate, not only a legitimate one, but one uh, that has as much power and significance as the one as right. our tradition. So right, right, we're right. talking about power. Right. Interpretation is about power. It is not about what does the Bible really say. It is about it, because the point, the truth of the matter is a Bible scholar. The Bible says all of this. It yeah. is as, as texts of terror. And texts of liberation right mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. It has texts that inspire you uh, to uh, to great freedoms and great great depth of insight. And it also have texts that will horrify you and embarrass you. I, I just spoke the other week on Jephthah's daughter. Oh and gosh. I made it very clear in a sermon. And I said, listen. I do not want to preach this. Oh, I find this the, one of the most objectionable stories yeah. in the Bible. There is no, there is redeeming this story. There is no redeeming. And, and that the daughter acquiesced and she finally, she said, oh, daddy, whatever you want to do. I said, you, you all may find that redemptive. I do not find that redemptive. So you got Jephthah's daughter. You got the concubine in the book of Judges, oh, yeah. Judges who is who is slaughtered and cut up into many pieces. And then you got the stories of Lydia and you got the story of Queen of Sheba. All of these are side by side. Mm-hmm. And you, But whose story? Which story becomes the dominant story? Mm-hmm. You've got Moses and you've got Jeremiah. You've got Jesus. You've got Paul. But whose story, whose whose interpretation of the story Mm -hmm. becomes the dominant story that defines this moment in history? That is, uh, and and who decides that? And whose story becomes the most powerful? Whose imagery, whose metaphors, whose take and angle on, on the Bible becomes the most dominant one is not decided by truth. It is decided by power. Wow. That is such a true statement. It's decided by guns. It's decided by politics. And um, so I think that I think that the savvy interpreter, I think those of us who are who step back and look and say, 
Uh, this is not about what is truth. This is about who is powerful enough to enforce their interpretation as the truth. Um, and it, and I think that one of the what is a genuine challenge for those of us who are who are particularly uh, from the more marginalized communities within the Christian church is that we have to be able to be as as fervent. Uh, and serious about advocating for our position as the other groups have been. Uh, anyone who's ever used the internet, we know you can go on the internet and, and click anything about God in the Bible, mm -hmm. and you will be inundated with very conservative, very literalist, uh, sometimes very toxic interpretation. They outnumber those of us who are trying to ask, who are trying to read against the grain mm -hmm. and who mm -hmm. are reading with a liberationist perspective. Mm -hmm. And and you and, and I'm, I'm challenging all of us that we've got to get our work out there, get our scholarship out there, get our books out there to be read and to get to write and, and get to getting published and getting our websites up if you will, mm -hmm. and our interpretations up so that people can say, I never thought about it that way. Right. Oh, that is a, another way to, to look at that. And it's not like you're being, you, I don't done anything new. I just think that the other voices have just dominated our interpretations for so long mm -hmm. that the rest of us sound like we are whining. <laughs> we sound like we are, you know, um, we 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 sound like we are, uh, you know, uh, what is it? I mean, just we, we do not sound. We do not necessarily. We are we are treated as though our interpretations are less than. Mm -hmm. When the truth of the matter is, people have been. If you and I would still, um, uh, Angela, we would still be subservient women with eleven babies and. And there's nothing wrong with having 11 babies because <laughs> with 11 babies uh, barefoot and pregnant every 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 month every year excuse me we would yeah. still be we would still be in balls and chains like like Hosea's wife Gomer mm -hmm. if someone did not push back if there weren't women and men yeah. pushing back dominant inter interpretation. We would still be slaves as Black people if there weren't abolitionists or there right. were not progressive interpreters saying, no, this is not the will of God. That I know that scripture is in there about slaves. Being, uh, but there's also some other scriptures that say we are neither slaves, uh, you know, uh, uh, and, and we, we are not in, seen as purely as slaves or as free or as Gentiles versus Jews. So it, there have always been, always been people who have interpreted scripture differently and has used those interpretations for freedom and liberation mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. inclusiveness. But the dominant voices have been the voices of patriarchy, mm -hmm. of authoritarianism, of power, of violence, mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, and of uh, literalism; those have been the dominant voices, but they have not been the only voices. Right, 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 right. Well, wow, this is uh, this is so rich. Um, I, I just and in thinking about what you're saying, because I'm I'm hearing this. We need to have more scholarship. We need to have um, 
more conversation in this vein of in, in raising this uh, thought, this understanding, this interpretation, um, both in the academy, uh, in public literature, I think, as well as in in the pulpit, in the pulpit. And in in the practical uh, places of that that we express and experience uh, our worship of God, one of the things that I have found interesting as I've been doing some work in the area of racial reconciliation um, is just as you said, kind of trying to um, bring an understanding to someone whose context is very different. Uh, and helping them to appreciate the lived experience of another, that it is as legitimate as their own. Um, And again, like you said, going to the scripture to help magnify what our response should be, even like now as we're talking about um, our brothers at the border, the, the the Haitian immigrants, as they are running for freedom and running for a better life. And we have scripture that says how that we are to treat the foreigner, that we are to embrace the foreigner. Yet, um, we don't hear that being preached very much as we look into our political scene. So, I, I just, I, as we kind of close out our thought, I just would uh, ask you how, um, where, how do we help the entirety of the body of Christ in um, expanding and embracing? How, how, how can we do this work? So that, because like you said, with each layer, uh, God God is so huge, so big. We, none of us can put God in a box, right? It's an impossibility. But even how do we begin to add value to the views and understanding of God that others bring to the table? Let me first commend you on work that I cannot imagine myself doing that I probably do not have the temperament, um, (laughs) even at this old age, at doing. So I want to commend you young people (laughs) without sounding condescending. I hope I did not sound condescending. No, ma'am, not at all. Just keep up the good work that you're doing. You're doing a good work in the Lord. Uh, I I actually need that encouragement. Can I I tell you that? It wasn't even the work when I was your age I could have done. So uh, so I, I commend you. And, I, and it's important work, the work of re- racial reconciliation. And I, it is, that is a ministry that is a work that is a needful work. That is that is that's holy work. And and it is a part. I think we're all doing it according to our own giftedness and graces, by mm-hmm. all means. And, and that those are yours. Uh, but I, but I would say that um, people. I, I would caution you in order to buffer you from some of the disappointments. To say, on one level, people do not change their minds because the Bible told me so. Mm. Let's let's be honest about that. 
Mm-hmm. We are we 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 claim that we are biblical people. We claim that the Bible is important to us. We claim that we are you know the that the Word of God. We are standing on the Word of God. But what we are, you and I have already discussed, is that we are we really are standing on a certain part of the Word of God that that in many ways suits us. Uh, and 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 I'm saying my part suits me that I'm not denying that I'm saying that my part that believes in liberation that lives in that believes in opening the doors and opening the table to all and that everyone has a right to experience God in the fullness of whoever they are whatever their sexuality whatever their race whatever their culture I will say I'm saying yes I'm standing on that that I'm, I'm, I, that's my heel right there. I'm going to stand, and I'm saying, yes, you are right. There are scriptures that that would close the border. There are scriptures uh, that where there is a kind of us versus mentality in a lot of parts of the Bible. There is a kind of empiricism, uh, imperialism, excusalistic notions of the Bible. I'm, I'm not denying any of that. I'm just saying that I have chosen to live my life by by this body of scripture. And I believe that this is the will of God. And and I know that you believe in another, you who is in another. And I am saying that we are not challenged by scripture. We are challenged by our context and who, who are our dialogue partners. And when people say, well, the Bible says, and then I can say, well, the Bible also says, well, I said the Bible also says this, and I can say, well, the Bible also. At some point, we have to step back and stop talking about what the Bible is, the scriptures that are already close to our own heart and our own wounds, hmm. uh, uh, if you if you will. And so let's have a human conversation before we even have a biblical. There is a reason why I am drawn to the scriptures that I am drawn to. And there is a reason why this other person is drawn to the scriptures. And so I know their scripture. They know mine. Mm -hmm. Uh, So let's be honest. We think that, well, if you knew this portion of the Bible, surely you would. No, they wouldn't. They know that portion (laughs) of the Bible. They know that. They know that. They just choose to believe. And they have been in a culture that allows them to believe that this is the dominant way. This is the, this is the truth and the others are wrong. I, I think okay. that that's the first thing we, I, I hope that we, I think that is an important and we, we do work of recognizing races and, and peoples and that, that the people change um, one change at a time mm-hmm. and it's because their world opens up not that their bibles open up their oh worlds gosh. open up okay. their worlds open up to different kinds of people you but you should not have to meet a haitian in order to love the haitian Mm-hmm. The Bible tells us that why you know you Jesus said you love me because you see me. How about those who you do not see? You know mm-hmm. what about when those who you see every day whom you hate all the time? So mm-hmm. I'm I'm saying that on one level we they they're the images of the Haitians trying to cross the border just like the images of the of uh, of South America 
to cross the border. Right. Uh, it, it's the same. But if your heart is already closed to that and you already see the world as small and narrow and that the resources are limited, we let those people come in. Right. Uh, and, and that scene is seen as a challenge. Then we've already got a we got a problem. And so you may ask, well, Dr. Williams, how do people change? We often change one relationship at a time mm. when we meet people who are different. I, I commend even those who you work with, even the people who you work with, who you will completely disagree with. But as long as there is dialogue, there's a possibility of change. As long as they meet Angela Raven Anderson and says, <laughs> I've never met anybody like her. I don't know many black women. I don't, I'm not in conversation, but, but I'm going to hear Angela. Mm-hmm. And Angela, one person at a time, I think, will be able to make an impact of, of people whose hearts are open. And sometimes change is a God thing. It's about timing. It's about synchronicity. Yes. It's about meeting people at the right, at a particular moment in your life. When And, you know, sometimes this is where we know there is a God. That there, only God can make some, some hearts crack open. Yes, absolutely. And sometimes it's not about a scripture. It's not about having met Angela. It's because their life was at a place a moment in their life when they could hear differently. The death of someone that they love. Yes. Uh, the loss of something and an illness opens you up. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the death of someone you love opens you up. The loss of something precious to you uh, is supposed to soften your heart. Uh, that, that, those are the things that make many of us turn around and say, well, maybe I could it be struggle makes you either bitter or it makes you better. Mm-hmm. But it make but the struggles of life, the losses, the pains, the disappointments, mm-hmm. the bruising come. And it could either make you shrink and make your world smaller and mm-hmm. say, I'm never going to love again. I'm not going to like anybody. I'm going to be even more abusive. I am never going to open the borders. Uh, I'm never going to believe in opening the borders uh, uh, there to far, uh, immigrants. Or struggle comes along and make you say, I know what it is to hurt. Mm. And when I see that mother bringing that child over that border, I know what it is to hurt now. Right. Right, right, and I right. can say, yes, let her in. Let them in. I know what it is to, to, to have experienced loss. I know what it is to have been humiliated. And it's those experiences that make people open up or ought to make people soften. Right. And, right, say, right. and say, maybe, maybe I was wrong. Right. Maybe I need to rethink my theology of God that struggle comes and it it ought to make us broaden our understanding of God not shrink understanding of God crying and weeping and loss and devastation ought to make us open the tents instead of close the tents 
And I think that's ultimately um, the kind of work that I have decided. Uh, we say at our church all the time. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, about, I'm about to do something silly. There is an old song, much older than you. You are just too young. But but there was an old song that we used to say, that they, a blues song. If loving you is wrong, mm-hmm. I don't want to be right. I don't want right. to be okay. right. Okay, okay. okay. that's yeah, right. Okay, it. so maybe you, there's a remix of it somewhere. Okay, <laughs> I, I'm going to err on the side of love. Of love, yep. I'm erring on the side of opening the door. Yes. As opposed to closing the door. I, and I believe ultimately, and I really do believe down in my sanctified soul <laughs> that in the end, in the end, Come on as now. opposed to air, if Christianity means anything, anything. Uh, otherwise, I don't know what I don't even know what it means to be a Christian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it doesn't mean to err on the side of love. When your God is air a God of love, your God side, is love. Yeah. Yes. Air on the side of opening the door. Yeah. Air on the side of your grandmama saying, I don't know how we're going to feed all these children. Y'all done brought all your friends here to my table. Y'all right. got all these people in my house. I don't know where I'm going to get the food from. Right. Come on in, baby. Let them come on in here. Come we'll on feed in. Them somehow. <laughs> That's that. I'm going to air on the side of come on in. Come on, Come on in. in. I, I love it. I love it. I love how it. we gonna take care of all y'all coming across the border? But come on in. We gonna we we gonna figure it out. And that, I think I that's think part of when we talk about raising the voices of women of color, telling the stories, sharing the stories, and allowing others to hear our stories and our experiences. That does help us all as we're talking about uh, understanding God. Because in that space where you talk about come on in, that's where the folks experience the love of God. That's that's when the yes. come on in is where you experience the redemption and the grace and the mercy. And so um, I thank you so much for being here today. I thank you for oh. thank you. <laughs> y'all don't know. They say shoot for the moon. You might hit a star. I hit the moon. So I just want y'all to know that today. Okay. <laughs> thank, you. Thank, you. thank you very much. For All right. Thank you for joining us today. Stay tuned for all the brand new episodes coming to you weekly from our incredible team of co-hosts. In the meantime, go to the show notes and learn how you can follow and support the new members of our podcast family. And be sure to follow CBE International on Facebook and Twitter. You should also go to our website at www cbeinternational.org for even more content. Subscribe to our blog, magazine, and academic journal. Watch videos and listen to audio of past conferences and events. And you can go visit our bookstore where you can find a ton of talented authors and subjects that will enrich your faith and equip you to use your God-given talents in leadership and service to the gospel for all, regardless of gender, ethnicity, or class. Well, I am Reverend Dr. Angela Raven Anderson. And it has been my joy to host and hang out with you today. I want to thank Landon and our entire support team and the entirety of the CB International team that makes this podcast possible. We are Mutuality Matters. Thanks for listening. Looking for more information about CBE and our mission for biblical equality? then please visit cbeinternational.org for more information. And please be sure to tune in each week for new episodes here 
or wherever else you listen to podcasts.